Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to A Good Football Show. My name is Pat Corain. I'm joined today by John Daigle of NBC Sports Edge and our special guest, Eric Beimfor of Roto-Grinders and the newly launched Spike Week. Here to talk best ball. This is going to be kind of a, a big, I don't know if it'll be the last big best ball show we do, but certainly want to kind of do a bit of an overview as we sort of transition here. We're getting kind of close into, you know, traditional managed leagues. Daigle, you were mentioning today on Twitter, we're getting into home league season. So it's time to... Uh, to kind of get our, our big kind of final thoughts on best ball. And honestly, can't think of two better guys to do that with. Than this you is two. essentially the uh, champagne bottle, busting it on the side of the ship to best ball as we send it off. Having said that, Eric's going to take it over at Spike Week. Uh, and I will definitely be tuning in throughout the season. But for now, I got to admit, Eric, I'm just leaving it to you because I am so tired. There is so much thinking that goes into every single lineup. Every time you pull up an app, no matter what format it is. And I'm just happy to be done with it for the time being. It, it's insane. And then yes. you you start to like galaxy brain yourself when you've done so many drafts. I know you guys have done a ton of drafts. I've done, I don't even know what I'm up to now. I mean, it, it's, you become sort of like a robot and then you start to think like, okay, well, do I need to, you know, do I need to pivot to different guys? Do I need to pivot to different strategies? And then, you know, you kind of start to, to get lost about, you know, about this time of the year is I feel like when you start to get a little bit like not lost, but, you know, like, OK, I have my like plan of attack for the year. But do I need to dabble a little bit more in, you know, some things that we'll get into with different structures and different strategies, different players. Right. You know, the chat is already talking about, you know, a uh, poster boy, Antonio Gibson. But it's like like I'm sick of talking about Antonio Gibson, like for three straight months, I've been talking about the same guy and drafting the same guy. And you start to get to this this like mush brain part part of the season. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited to kind of, you know, do like, you know, it's obviously not the blast show for me uh, for best ball. I'll be continuing on for the, for the foreseeable future, but like it is important. I think to think about things, you know, through a different lens, think about maybe, you know, where not, not necessarily you could be wrong, but where you need to, you know, uh, maybe make some strategy tweaks or structure tweaks or, or, or player tweaks to make sure that you're still, you know, putting together a, a sound portfolio and strategy for the whole for the whole season. You haven't coined it necessarily, but basically I've seen you say it the most that we don't know anything. And you don't mean that by we don't know anything. Maybe you do, actually. But what you're, what you're saying is that we know much less than we think we do. So I think like genuinely best ball season, I was already at zero Fs. 
like a uh, player analysis or whatever about rankings and everything. We can go back to March and I've been on the podcast saying that, you know, we have finite lives. Who cares about the RB three or four and like best ball season. I feel like made me care even less because uh, now I take everything into account and say, you know what? I don't know. So let me go with this player instead. And I still like to have my spin analysis, of course, because I think spreading out your exposure also leads to absolutely nowhere because then you're just overexposed to every single player. Even if you don't believe in that player situation, but overall, I think it is a good point to have, even as we enter redraft season. It's just like you do not know as much as you think you know. And I'm sure some of the players we're going to talk about, if not players we don't talk about, a la Miles Gaskin, let's say, proved that this past weekend. Yeah, I think the exposure point's a really good one. I also think just doing all this best ball, I've never felt more prepared for my managed yeah. leagues, for my high stakes leagues. I mean, getting in all those reps and not just kind of knowing the flow of drafts and, and the boards and kind of where the pockets are. In this year, I, I do feel like I know that better than ever, but I also know for a fact that not every draft is my only draft. You know, I've got a whole portfolio yeah. here. So if there's a guy in a high stakes draft that I really feel like I need to have, you know, and first of all, I don't because I'm doing a bunch of those too. <laughs> but uh, even still, you're like, it's easier to kind of stay within structure, not kind of force things, not reach necessarily. So I think it's been very beneficial, but I did the exposure thing leads me to kind of the first topic I wanted to talk about. And these are going to be, some of these are going to be kind of galaxy brain topics, which is I think important a little bit because while we've been drafting and doing a ton of these so far, there's still a ton of drafting left to go. So even though, you know, on this pod, we're going to be talking mostly about managed leagues going forward. I know we're still going to be drafting a ton of teams. So Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom rack store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince. Rag and Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I kind of want to check in with you guys on some of these thoughts I've been having. One of them is with the exposures, we now have not only different sites, drafters, underdog, FFPC, NFFC, DraftKings, all these different sites providing best ball. But like with underdog specifically, they're launching these tournaments, these, you know, the puppy one, two, three, best ball mania is still ongoing. I, I don't think we really knew. No one knew because no one knew how, how much the demand would be that there were going to be this many puppies like this. But it does set you up for a situation where, now I'm starting to think, like, should I be overweight on a specific player? Like, should I actually be treating my exposures differently in the puppy three 
versus what they're going to end up being in Best Ball Mania versus what they were in Puppy 1 and 2 in an attempt to sort of get more shots on goal like within that tournament. Like generally within a like a guy like CEH. Like I feel like I'm a bit underexposed to CEH in Best Ball Mania. I'm considering things like should I just kind of push in a little bit on maybe CEH and Swift where I feel like I'm a little bit underexposed overall and maybe go a little bit nutty in those tournaments with the idea of I'm okay breaking out on the Puppy 3 and it my overall exposures will will probably be okay but honestly being overweight in that specific tournament might be helpful eric what are your what are your thoughts on that or am i too far down the rabbit hole no i think that's actually been pretty much my exact strategy is doing so many drafts over such a long period of time like you do just naturally get either over or underweight on certain guys whether you planned it or not right like i planned it for darrington evans but there was actually some guys that i was just because of how drafts were breaking, right? There's weird pockets of drafts that you end up kind of taking the same guy too many times. Your exposures maybe get, like I said, you want it or you don't want it in in, in certain ways that it's actually not quite as easy as you think to to balance things out. Sure, you can just stop taking whatever Michael Gallup in the in the seventh round, but there are certain times where Michael Gallup makes the most sense for you in the in the seventh round. So you don't want to just force exposures with these new tournaments. That's exactly where I've been trying to with the uh, and you also mentioned the different sites i've been using that to my advantage to f- kind of take each one and analyze it you know dare i say in a vacuum and look <laughs> at that you know the puppy the puppy 2 versus even the puppy 1 definitely versus best ball mania and then take it like now let's go look at draftkings right you know draftkings has their millie maker now they also launched a new $5 you know, we obviously have a, just only a couple of big injury situations, but the big one that always jumps jumps to my mind is Daryl Henderson. So in Best Ball Mania 2, you know, I had a good bit of, of Daryl Henderson, but I didn't want to continue drafting fifth round Daryl Henderson when, you know, but so many opponents had 12th round Daryl Henderson. And I had 12th round Daryl Henderson. Now you get these new contests popping up. And I actually believe Daryl Henderson, when they started, he was grossly underpriced relative to what his actual like expectation should be because people were doing the same thing that I was doing. So it allowed me to still get my, you know, I wanted to have Daryl Henderson, but it was just like in best ball mania too, you're out of you know, you're, you're just, you're just out of luck. Like I'm not going to continue taking him. So it allowed me to still get the appropriate amount of Daryl Henderson that I wanted, even though like, you know, I didn't want to take him in best ball mania too, you know, but I can take him in the puppy three or whatever, each having those a bunch of different options. I've been trying to view them all like in a silo and att- like, let's use Will Fuller as another, probably one of my favorite examples, Rondale Moore, like on DraftKings, they were just the screaming values. And so I was just taking them because I'm not taking them as much on some of the other sites. And I expect that their ADP is probably going to adjust. So I think it is important to kind of take us, you know, you, and you might take a stand. It might only be for a short period of time. Right. Like I was drafting Darrington Evans when it became a bit in the 18th round and then he's going in the 14th, 15th and I'm not taking him anymore. You know, so all those different variables, I think, are important. Oh, that puppy 280p got out of control. The fact that we could look up in the 14th round and Deshaun Jackson was the best receiver available. Uh, it got wild there for a little bit. One, I wish we had known we were going to have three plus puppies because uh, we obviously all would approach things differently had we known that before instead of trying to jam into one and do things differently. But also, mm-hmm. I don't mind taking a stand with the ADP, but also this is the first year I recall that it's so reactionary. 
not under or overreacting. It's just reacting to everything. Like the mm. fact you can still get Dak Prescott right now in the middle of the sixth, the end of the sixth. Like, wow, I wouldn't have grabbed him in the fourth, like earlier stacking him with Amari and CD had I known I could have just wait until the sixth yep. two months later. So it just makes you think about everything. And so next year, maybe it's not even actionable this next month maybe it is but next year for sure i'm just going to take everything with a grain of salt knowing i'll probably be able to get most players at some point whenever the rest of the crowd reacts in one way or another yeah that's a good point and i also part of me feels like i kind of i don't know if i got let off the hook with my exposures or what but like just sitting there at the end of the fifth pounding iuk and claypool doesn't seem so bad now and even though at the time i was kind of like i might have lost my mind like i probably should mix these guys up but now I'm like, thank God I, I was overexposed at that point. So I think, you know, and, I, and Eric, I know you've talked a lot about this, like early in best ball season going really hard on Trey Lance and, and some other guys. That does seem to me to be like one of the real lessons of doing best ball, you know, over a really long period of time is that there are guys who we can kind of probably identify are going to are going to jump up. And so actually being overweight for even like a month might be OK. Yeah, then that, that's exactly what I did. And also with even thinking about the Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson thing, the earlier you start drafting, the more time it is for obviously just for like people to get on board with Trey Lance, right? Or people to get on board with with early wide receivers or whatever. Natural market shifts can happen. But there's also like I mean, the opposite of, say, just like an injury with Cam Akers is like DJ Chark just you know, is maybe not starting for the Jaguars. You know, he was going in the seventh round or whatever. You have a lot of, there's just so much of that uncertainty. You know, Daigle talked about, we don't know that much. That's absolutely like my stance is, you know, we just don't know as much as as we think we know. Now extrapolate that times like a thousand when you're drafting in April and May, you know? I mean, we don't, we really don't know anything at that point in the off season. So I think we can, to your point, really identify the type, you know, like the archetypes of players, like Trey Lance is Trey Lance. It, it, you know, I, I actually don't know if he's going to be good. I frankly don't care. But like the archetype of a player that Trey Lance is as a draft asset or whatever you want to call him is, I think, one that we can very clearly identify as someone that when he's going in the 14th round in May, like he's not going to continue to go in the four, in the 14th round. That's what's funny about this first week is that let's say the receiver or Ayuk right caught the 80 yard touchdown. Surefield. Sherfield, that's it. Sherfield, sorry. Uh, okay, so let's just say he drops that ball, though. Like, nothing changes. Like, the 80, yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Uh, if you were ahead on Lance, you were ahead. If you were behind, you were behind. That's what I saw some people talking about, like, Justin Fields' tape. But, like, the player Justin Fields, you saw, if you had a different opinion, you just didn't watch him in college. Like, he is the Deshaun Watson prototype of the guy who hangs on to the ball too long, and that's going to be his career where his strengths are actually his weaknesses as well. And that's fine. You just have to take it as they come case by case. But what we saw from Fields is Justin Fields. Same thing for, let's say, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz's usage where everyone's talking about the snaps Zach Ertz got with the first team. But in terms of fantasy points, Dallas Goddard had one catch and outperformed Ertz because he's more explosive. Like, that's just what <laughs> What they do and so it's just odd to see adps move so much about performances as opposed to like the usage notes we had and i think that's what we're watching here and also for these new tournaments that are cropping up it is refreshing a little bit at least that we get a fresh spin right uh this is something yeah. mike leone wrote about an established run this is what i've heard you talk about on spike eric as well as you on a ship chasing crane since everyone apparently has sideshows uh that <laughs> basically like let's say in the in the mil, in the millionaire 
on underdog, you can draft CMC 101, but then if you draft Najee Harris, you're drawing dead because like everyone drafted Najee Harris when he came back. So basically what you're doing is drafting 101 CMC, understanding that you then have an edge, but then you have to make your own edge as well. You have to be unique and do something completely different, which is maybe just grabbing like DeAndre Swift or the next running back after Najee Harris, since everyone else drafted Harris. So it just it just varies tournament to tournament. It's so unique to talk about. It really is. And I, I like your point about camp because I, I, I kind of made this point. And, you know, nothing is ever this simple. Like all this stuff is extremely like nuanced and nothing nothing is black and white. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe this will lead us, Pat, into the Gibson thing. I don't know where you're trying trying to go next. But the Gibson thing was a really good example of it actually doesn't change anything, but it gives people a few plays to latch on to. To, like they, they want something tangible to be able to say, okay, he's overpriced or underpriced, or I need to buy or whatever. When like, we're talking about 11 plays, right? A, like 11, 11 plays. And my favorite part of Gibson was, yes, he did not play the third downs, but he still had three targets <laughs> in, in, in 11 plays. But we throw that, you know, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater because he didn't play on third downs and, and McKissick did, which is like, not only does that, probably not really matter in terms of what we're trying to get out of a second round draft pick. Like his dream about it ceiling is probably taking it over, over the course of a season, right? Pulling a Jonathan Taylor. He's probably not going to run JD McKissick off the field for every, you know, for every snap on week one, it's just probably not going to happen. So these preseason notes could be, could actually be indicative of what happens for week one for like, if you're setting your week one season long lineup or you're, you're playing DFS in week one, but for these best ball tournaments, it actually doesn't change a single thing for Antonio Gibson. And now we're getting, you know, some some contradictory reports to some of the usage that we saw. But he's just one example, right? Like that that it happens all the time. T. Higgins was playing behind Auden Tate. Justin Jefferson was playing behind Ola BC Johnson, <laughs> not only in the in the preseason, but in the first two weeks of the regular season last year. And it's like, well, I mean, I did, I made that mistake of of not being in on on Justin Jefferson because of something like that, and and you just realize like just the talent wins out over over the course of the season, and I just want to bet on the situations that will pay me off if the talent if the talent wins out, not just on ten preseason plays. I still take in the fact that he didn't play third down snap. Having said that, if you're drafting Gibson that early, it doesn't matter because you're banking on him winning anyhow. Like no matter what happens in the next two preseason games, as well as what we just saw in the first, if you were drafting Gibson at the first, second round turn or middle of the second, you are banking on him eventually winning that role. So whatever you see doesn't matter. This is what you're hoping for anyhow. So like, yeah, you don't even have to take into account those notes. What's interesting though, what, what makes Gibson so fascinating is that He's basically become more than a simple discussion of individual players. He's become a topic on like the way we approach life. Like in general, mm-hmm. we should be intelligently stubborn with our True. ideas if we truly believe in them. And so just the fact that, you know, I- I've come to different conclusions. Pat and I have had the fight pod already where I took CEH. And um, that doesn't matter because like CEH is going like half a round, if not a full round later than Gibson. No worries at all. But also... And it's baked into both players, but more importantly, if you're Gibson, because he does have the size profile. What is it, 6'3", 247, Pat? He's like 225. 227. Okay, but the yeah. fact is, like, he also he's a double-edged sword because he can end you if you're underweight. So uh, it's like you have to get exposure towards him, yeah. whether you believe it or not. But I think the important part is, and this is why for Gibson, for CEH, he was basically the opposite 
uh, the same camp notes, right? The same coach speak of we're going to throw to this guy more, except CEH actually played on third down, whereas he didn't last year, whereas Gibson did not last year and then did not uh, this weekend. But you basically have to treat those guys when you're drafting as if you already won with them because you're investing so much early capital into them. So like, it doesn't matter what happened this weekend. You have to still keep pretending like they are in those winning roles that you're envisioning anyhow, whether you believe it or not. Uh, just want to pick up on that really, really, really quick. Is just that whether we are right or wrong about those guys, whether these preseason, you know, small little indicators are are right or wrong. I think that's also where we're viewing things wrong in fa- in fantasy football. This goes for managed leagues. This goes for the main event on FFPC, whatever. And but particularly for best ball, is that it's not even about whether I'm I'm not even like trying to predict anything. I don't know if Antonio Gibson is going to get that passing down role, but I'm trying to make bets on players that uh, that give me the ability to win these contests that I'm playing in right and CEH is absolutely one of those guys one of mm-hmm. those guys too and so like Pat to your point I I was probably a little underweight CEH and I'm trying yeah. I'm kind of trying to recover on that but they're like the, it's a very very similar bet between those two guys and I, but I want to draft those guys pick it I don't care it, it doesn't have to be Antonio Gibson right it could be somebody else but I, those are the types of players I just want to continually draft because right. of what can happen if they do come through. Not necessarily like, do I believe, you know, any more passionately than you do that they're going to come through. Uh, one really quick, Pat. Yes, if you draft Gibson, let's say as an anchor running back, hero running back, whatever you want to call it, that's my favorite way to draft. Uh, not with Gibson, but just running backs in general. Then you have to treat him like he won that role. And you're not making, it's almost like you're not making the analysis before the pick. You're then taking X player and then mm-hmm. saying, this player won that role. What do I do now since I'm winning? And that's yep. how I've been treating CEH Gibson, whatever, no matter what my spin has been. Yeah, you're you're operating from that point on within a simulation of the season mm-hmm. where Gibson smashes. Right. Although I do think that there's, you know, you do want to say like, okay, did Gibson's odds decrease a little bit of having that smash outcome? And am I overweight the odds of it happening now? Do I, should I be shifting to CH? And I, I think that the preseason usage was like mixed, but slightly bearish for Gibson. Like I love to see the three targets. I really wish he played on a third down. He also gave up a short yardage third and two to Peyton Barber, which is an ideal you know what I mean? If he gets sniped on a few touchdowns by Peyton Barber, which seems too gross to even imagine, but you know, <laughs> is certainly possible, um, that's really going to hurt. Plus, he already kind of do for a little bit of touchdown regression based on what he did last year anyway. So moving, then saying, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't quite as likely as I thought. I'm willing now to you know, forego Gibson a little bit. Maybe I need a little more Ridley in the, in the range where I was taking Gibson. Maybe I get a little bit more CH you know, in the range where I've been hammering AJ Brown and Metcalf. So I think that's, I'm just trying to make like small adjustments like that, not panicking, but also to the point I made earlier, like if I'm, if I'm going to do that, I think I want to do that more in the puppy three, which is a new tournament, which maybe like, that'll just be my like CEH tournament and go a little bit harder on him there. And then if CEH smashes, I'm now set up really well in a specific tournament, which I think I like that way of correcting my exposures rather than going back to my best ball mania and starting to kind of shift stuff up. Because the ADP hasn't shifted a lot. Right. So you're you're saying now you're buying like whatever slight dip is on Gibson because you believed it in the past and you still believe it despite the slightly bearish notes we have. Well, I'm thinking in in best ball mania, maybe I buy the dip, but in the puppy, I don't. In the puppy, I try to – I like – 
maybe because I try to let start. Swift swing back around because it's a fresh start, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that makes a ton of sense. See, that's another factor in all these different tournaments. Whereas uh, now, like you know, it's pretty much luck boxing my way into it. But now I have to recover the Antonio Gibson with whatever slight dip we get if we get right. one. Whereas like me and Davis Maddock, unfortunately, like Edward Tiller is our highest rostered player. So right. I don't, if anything, like I have to hedge against Edward Tiller now, although I got slightly <laughs> bullish news. So um, that's what I'm doing. That's how I'm recovering now as well. In, in the best ball mania too is now hopefully buying like a small dip on Gibson. If he falls that far, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if people take this report seriously. I was going to say, you, you might have gotten uh, a little dip where you, where, you, yeah. where you could, where you could, but until uh, JP Finley's out here posting, you know, all this propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Come on, JP. <laughs> JP <laughs> might have his bags packed on underdog already. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's going on uh, there. <laughs> JP's JP's uh, an amazing reporter. He actually, I heard, I heard him with underdog Josh Norris the other day on the radio uh, before Washington's game, and he said, take this with a grain of salt, but I heard that Curtis Samuel will be back after this first game. Like, he's just fine. Okay. And then if you had listened to that, you got three or four days of Curtis Samuel ADP, and then here he comes. He got activated up immediately. So he's just passing along the word. The issue is that, maybe it's not even an issue, it's just in the water in Washington, is that they compared Bryce Love to Christian McCaffrey last year. They compared J.D. McKissick to Christian McCaffrey. They only have one player to compare it to. That, that's all <laughs> doing is comparing every single player to McCaffrey. Because why no, not? This time Who wouldn't really- want to be tied to McCaffrey? We all want to be tied to McCaffrey. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you guys about structures um, and kind of the way the, sh- the structures have shifted across these tournaments and across the sites. Before I do, I do want to remind, kind of let everyone know, this might be the first you're hearing of it, on Thursday – at 2 p.m. Eastern on a good football show, we are having two-time WWE champion The Miz. He's joining Pat. He's joining Daigle. He's joining Denny, I believe, uh, is the is the three guys there. They're going to be discussing his beloved Browns, who he's high on this year in fantasy, and preview SummerSlam that airs exclusively on Peacock Sunday night. So again, this Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be having The Miz on a good football show. I so can't wait sure to get Denny's out. opinion on SummerSlam. I'm sure he has a ton of takes. I'm sure he's very yeah, I mean, excited about Roman Reigns and John Cena. I had the chance to meet Denny for the first time at uh, the the FF Expo, the Fantasy Football Expo uh, in Canton, and he would not shut up about SummerSlam. I saw all the photos from this past weekend, and Eric, were you there? No, I was okay. not there. Okay, well, let's just say that Denny had the most photos surfacing, for better or worse, all over social media. It seemed like he was the real superstar there. Denny is a legit celebrity. Denny yes. had like a line of people to talk to him. It was it was really quite something. What this is <laughs> proves we're in a simulation right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is it is a strange strange world we inhabit. All right, I did want to ask you guys about structures because like the thing that kind of has happened with the way I'm building these teams is in Best Ball Mania early on, I was doing kind of one elite running back builds. Dago, I know that's kind of your preference. That's also my preference in a vacuum but then things got a little weird we brought eric on ship chasing a couple times we ruined adp and uh everyone started taking all the wide receivers at that point it got to me to a point where i i really felt like i couldn't go the zero or the uh the one elite running back because i would get locked out at wide receiver if i wasn't careful i could do it but it was tough so i was often going like four x wide receiver out of the gate sometimes five just like making sure I had my wide receivers and then I had the flexibility after in those puppy two rooms where the ADP was like legitimately out of control. It has seemed like things have settled back down now a little bit to the point where in the puppy two, I was able to go more with the one elite running back builds, but a lot of those, maybe 80% of those, I stopped at four because the running back values still feel stronger than they were earlier in the summer. 
And now I'm kind of curious how the puppy three is going to shake out, but you know, it's kind of doing like a, a combination of a hyper fragile and the one elite running back in these, uh, in the puppy two, I actually ended up really liking that. So Eric, I kind of wanted to hear like your journey as far as the structures and like what you expect you'll be doing to kind of close out in the puppy three and in the rest of your best ball mania drafts. I've had a similar kind of uh, evolution of, of structure as, as you did the very beginning of the summer was just kind of experimenting, right? I, tr- I tried, you know, hyper fragile, like super robust, right? The RB, 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 I tried zero running back. I tried, you know, so I go through everything and then I landed pretty much exactly where both of you guys have landed that. And I, 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 I still feel very passionately, like if we're building, like, you know, if there's an, there's not really an optimal, but if there was an optimal tournament, best ball build, it would be single, single elite running back. And typically with a bunch of more upside flyers, I think people kind of screwed that portion of the structure up a little bit too. But also as we get closer to the season, I think that that can change because we just get more clarity on those secondary running backs. So that is, is still like my, my preference really across any site, including drafters, including DraftKings, including FFPC, whatever that would typically be my preference. However, I had the exact same thing happen. You know, I mean, I, we, I, we went through it together with, with ship chasing and the insane ADPs. And that's exactly the um, kind of pivot that I made on underdogs specifically, but going back to like this idea about viewing kind of each tournament and each site, you know, in its own little silo and kind of analyzing that. I also then started to pivot a little bit more like on the other sites to a little bit more hyper fragile. So one thing you'll find on on these other sites is that people don't, you know, it's a really common thing for like people to only draft four running backs, which is really wild. If we like take a step back and think about like just last year, if we were trying to tell somebody to only draft four running backs, no matter how good they were, you could take four running backs to start the draft and people will be like, I'm not only taking four running backs. Like, are you crazy? Now it's like commonplace on underdog, but that hasn't made its way partially because of 20 rounds on some of the other sites, but also just because the drafts are a little bit softer, you know, wide receiver ADP is closer to old school underdog. You know, there's a lot of these little nuances to those, to those other sites that I've actually started to adapt my approach to be more open to like, like you can start sometimes something like Diggs Gibson CEH on like DraftKings mm. that you, know, you you cannot do that on 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 underdog that's not there, there's that's not in the cards you know to happen on on underdog I started the other day even like Tyreek Diggs like like you can get like some sometimes something crazy like that happens just because the markets are are very different and people are still not only tied to their you know running backs like all of fantasy football is right. They're very obsessed, obsessed with running backs, but they haven't made it to more of the embracing the hyper fragile aspect of things like underdog has, you know, underdog is just such a more, you know, highly efficient market relative to anything we have ever seen before. And some of the other spaces are not that. And I, and so I think to kind of going back to your initial question, puppy three is a little bit more kind of like, I guess, early puppy one, maybe, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that, where I do feel a little more comfortable with a, with a single elite, but I'd lean pretty much single elite or zero running back because of just what I think that that market is right now. I mean, it's a little bit better, but we're still talking about like 11th round Terrace Marshall on, right. on, on, on underdog. You know, you used to get him in like the 15th or 16th. So, and you can get him there on like DraftKings or something. So it's just very different and same thing, you know, kind of a maybe lazy answer, but viewing each one very specifically has been my absolutely entire approach because they, they really are so, so, so different. 
Yeah, underdog has definitely made me a better drafter, but I don't know if that's a good thing. I think previously, like, ignorance was bliss going into FFPC and knowing <laughs> what to do. And now, like, I overthink a particular player or structure and realize, like, no one else is thinking like that. Because, uh, especially in redraft, like, most of the time I genuinely have to step back now when slow drafting a main event right now, for instance, and just ask, does this player cause a headache? Like, is he a roster clogger that I'm never going to figure out how to start anyhow? Let's say Ronald Jones, right? Because, you know, this is a Again, player analysis, but Ronald Jones doesn't have to have Geo get out of the way. That doesn't matter. He doesn't have two outs here. He has one out. He has to have Lenny out. get that out of the way. Yeah, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. the issue. And I will never start him correctly in a redraft, whereas best ball is kind of the perfect player because I never have to worry about when I started yeah. correctly. So, like, I always have to step back with every pick in every format now since we're playing across these sites and ask myself is if this is the player or the, the structure I want. Having said that, I've still been dying on the hill and I know I'm willing to die on it because I continue doing it. Thus, I'm willing to burn my bankroll if I'm wrong because I, just, I genuinely believe in it. Um, and I won't back down is that we need to swing for the fences on the the pack quote, the legendary running back because of a 300K plus entry field that we need to be in one. I don't care about 10, even though, you know, we can go go get drinks together if I get 10th place. But <laughs> I want the million. I'm going for the top. And thus, I genuinely believe I'm burning 92% of my entries. I'm just taking the money. I might as well record it and just burn the 25 bucks or 250 bucks in the big dog. Whereas uh, I'm swinging for the fences that 8% chance I get the legendary running back. And then I'm not even saying I win if I find that guy. I'm saying I have a chance to compete then in the playoffs if I have that guy. And uh, to your point, Eric, that's it's great then when it opens up and maybe you can start Gibson CEH or whatever, because then maybe we're going for two legendary running backs. And like that gives us an even greater chance. So either way, I do genuinely believe, given the field size, that you have to just burn all your tickets finding the legendary running back, that the floors of the wide receivers, in my opinion, don't matter. And again, uh, I was in New York a couple weekends ago and, and the flex drafts on SiriusXM, it made its way around social media and the radio that I went eight straight receivers, but it's a 12-man league. Like I'm just playing my floors, three wide receivers, two flex, done deal. I'll take a chance yeah. on that. I don't need to fight for a running back. I don't have to take risks on guys who have who may not play third down like a CEH and Gibson, for instance. But in this situation, I feel like I genuinely have to. And so I'm always swinging for the fences, hoping for the one running back that separates himself. Unfortunately, that one running back is probably 101, and you have to get lucky to draw that pick. Yeah, that's well, first of all, that point you made about, you know, the 12 man league, I do think that there's kind of this weird misconception about like what zero running back is doing. It's sort of like this high risk strategy that only works, you know, a tournament stuff. It's not. It's actually, you know, you're playing for a base of points. Like you're just not missing on most of your picks. You're you're hitting on a much higher percentage of your picks than your opponents. And then it's basically like I'm willing to piece together running back through the season. And then if I happen to hit on a couple running backs, good luck. You guys are toasted, but I don't even have to do that because most guys are scoring a lot less at running back than they think. So the risky strategy is actually taking the early running backs, not taking the early receivers, but to Daigle's point, we need to embrace some risk here if we're going to take down these giant all tournaments. The I'm, Not some. I'm saying all of it. Like I, yeah. I, I'm trying to an eight percent shot, knowing I'm going to lose, knowing I'm a millionaire, to take on all the risk to win everything. <laughs> well, so I'm more persuaded by this point in best ball mania, where there the ADPs have kind of swung all over the place, and the team that wins best ball mania will probably have a, like an incredible legendary running back season. I, I am convinced of that. I think in like the puppy two, puppy three environment and Diggle, i'm curious for your thoughts on this like because the adps are so warped from what 
you know, they were even early in best ball mania on underdog that I don't know that a team like you might be able to hit on these incredible running back seasons and still not win the whole thing, partly because like, you know, two thirds of leagues last year with Christian McCaffrey did not or not last year in 2019 did not win their league. Two thirds of 2019 Christian McCaffrey teams still didn't win their league. So in an environment where the wide receivers are sucked out of the room by the end of mm-hmm. almost by the end of round four in some of these, does that change what you actually need to win where, you know, maybe hitting on two or three guys later at running back becomes a lot more powerful than we've seen in the past? Well, you shouldn't live like me. Like I'm, I still zig when everyone zags. Uh, I, I just take on all the risk anyway. So um, since <laughs> the point is, well, the point is to win it all, obviously, but you still need to win your room. You need to win your league, right? And so like if everyone's doing one thing in the league, then I'm obviously going to do the other thing, taking a chance, knowing that uh, when I look up in the genuine, like you're not even kidding, genuine is the eighth or ninth round now, and suddenly you're having to draft Brian Edwards as the best receiver. Yeah. Like what the <laughs> hell is going on in this world right now? Uh, but, but yeah, so I am willing actually to take on two running backs in that chance but also i understand that maybe that's counterproductive that's why i'm curious to get eric's thought on this because if the running backs are sinking that means there's also better value at running back later on so maybe someone's just matching the running backs i take early whereas i'm trying to piece together 10 worst receivers so it's interesting that you guys bring this up and because i was going to count also pile i'll pile on an an additional question to what you guys are saying because i think it's possible it's different from where we've been up until now so we're you know training camp is going on we're in the pre we're in the preseason we're we're like these guys are about to get put on ice right you know we're going to see probably one more game from the the starters um and then they might they might get put on ice for the rest of the preseason you know we might not have as much injury variance so i think that actually plays a bigger fa- and, and we we know less right the reason why we had this conversation about gibson about ceh about miles gaskin about all these guys preseason usage is because we really didn't know anything and now we feel like we have something at least right we have something to to latch on to and so we're, we're going to learn a, a little bit more and then and then that that's all going to stop so i think there's an interesting discussion to be had about moving forward versus where we are up until now but i definitely like basically up until now up like i mean i kind of talked about it very early on in the season or in the off season my plan was to draft about as much as i could leading up until training camp and i wanted to kind of stop and then underdog ruin that by dropping all these puppies <laughs> so i have not i have definitely not stopped drafting but you know before i knew that like there was going to be like 50 different uh, best ball tournaments that I was going to be investing in. I thought it was just like best ball mania. And so my plan was best ball mania, which I actually have pretty much employed is when we got to training camp, I want to stop drafting because that's when we get like these miles Gaskin shifts, right. And like we start to learn some things and I want to kind of let that market sway and go crazy. And, you know, then we'll get to the end of the season and I'll know the most, Uh, you know, it's the time where you know the most, but also my opponents are in theory worse because we get the kind of, you know, the casual player coming in close to the season just wants to fire off a, a $25 lottery ticket or whatever. So anyway, because of that, I was drafting early on and I couldn't possibly believe more in what Daigle said with upside, upside, upside. Why I have so much Daryl Henderson was because no matter my structure, I was taking the upside players, no matter the floor, right? Tony Pollard, Daryl Henderson, Alexander Madison, right? Darrington Evans, give me all these guys who have basically only contingent value, mm-hmm. you know, and, and because I just want to kind of let everything play itself out. 
willing to burn that $25. You know, like I said, no matter the structure, when I take Gibson, I have a lot of like Gibson, Henderson, Latavius Murray, Darrington Evans, like Samaje P. Ryan teams, right? Like if, I, if if none of those other guys were to actually, if we got to the season and there was no injury, like my RB2 is like a, a one point a week, you know, because, but I wanted to embrace that, like just the variance of an off season and training camp and all that kind of stuff. And so that's like, I couldn't possibly agree more, especially for these tournaments. It, like I wanted the, the, you know, the greatest path to crazy super teams as I could get. Now, like I was talking about, we're at this weird point where I wanted to get you guys kind of takes on this because I don't even know how I feel about it yet, is that there's going to be very limited scenarios where the Daryl Henderson thing can come about, right? Where Miles Gaskin ADP tanks, where Antonio Gibson, maybe, I don't know if he's going to rise or go, we'll we'll see that soon, if he's going to go up or down, but we're not going to get as many crazy market shifts over the course of the next few weeks. You know, maybe I guess an injury could happen, but like, how does that change maybe how we should be structuring those? Like, you know, I'm not going to get the, the Daryl Henderson lottery ticket scratch off, you know, if uh, for Pollard, right. If Zeke's only going to play a handful of snaps and they're going to put him on ice Pollard does, you know, does your plan change around Tony Pollard versus when you have all of training camp to kind of get a little bit more access to that variance. I think, well, let me pose it as a question and kick it to Pat. Don't you take the information and then spin it on its head. Like you swim in the same waters with everyone drafting receivers in the first six rounds. And then those guys, they don't want any more. Don't you take them? Because like the Miles Gaskin thing didn't make him a bad player. It made him a zero running back, which if everyone else like doesn't want him anymore, I will absolutely take him on because then all we assume all it becomes is Malcolm Brown getting injured or out of the way. And then suddenly he's back to perhaps the same role as last year where he had a 19% target share, or maybe even like a James Robinson, even though he probably increased Latavius Murray, like, you know, it's rumors that he's going to be, be cut. I still kind of doubt that. I actually need to talk to my roommate upstairs about that because he talked to Underhill about that stuff. But yeah, so I, I please think, DM me. I have way too much Latavius <laughs> yeah. Murray. I, I, I actually, would also like to know. I actually, I actually think <laughs> I take that information. Yeah, and just use it as my own razor and just cut back against everyone. That's the only yeah. way I can see playing it right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes sense, like particularly with Gaskin, because it's going to come with the ADP discount. And that's something like that's like in Best Ball Mania, you know, if you're doing if you're going to have cheap Miles Gaskin and everyone else had expensive Miles Gaskin, I think that's the place where I want to take on a little bit more of the risk with Gaskin. Because same for, there's a chance. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, I was just going to say same for David Johnson. Um, you know, yeah. everyone like laughed at the third down roll. Like, I don't want a part of him. Actually, that, that kind of made me want him now because his ADP drops to the last round and he's the pass catching back for a team that isn't favored even in one game throughout the year. Like, I, of course I want that player because they're, they're throwing a lot. And hopefully you get two or three spike weeks and he pays it off. Right. I mean, he's, you know, he's James White. We're taking James White, which is still Absolutely. probably drafting yes. David Johnson. Yeah. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. 
Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. But I think in the puppy, like the puppy, I do think is interesting, or any of these tournaments that are kind of enclosed and that might fill a little bit quicker, like the DraftKings $5 one would be another example of the DraftKings is a little bit of a different piece. But, you know, with the puppy, like because the wide receivers are so expensive there, I do feel like, and you have the Miles Gaskin thing, for example, like you can have, you know, you can go if you want to take uh, like CEH and then you can get Gaskin as your RB2 and you can get AJ Dillon and then you can get Zach Moss or James Conner and you're done. I'm like, but you could even take away CEH from that build and and make it like ETN. And, you know, maybe you take, maybe you take a fifth, maybe you don't. But like the wide receivers that you have on top of that with still some running back upside is pretty wild to me. And it, that has had me shift away a little bit from the single elite running back type of build where like, I don't know, are, there's got to be scenarios where like the guy you needed this year was Tyreek Hill in the first round, right? Oh, like yeah. there are, there are scenarios where Tyreek Hill not only just goes off, has a higher target share than we've ever seen, but also just like explodes throughout the playoffs. So I do want to have Kind of to your point, Daigle, of like the you know wanting to have the the exposure to the guy who's going to take this whole thing down for you. I think the the Adams that the the Hill the Diggs, maybe even the Ridley have those scenarios too. And in an environment especially where everyone is going to be weak at wide receiver unless they got them early, I think that's a good spot to like to have that exposure to the scenarios where it ended up being not a running back but one of these elite wide receivers. One thing that I've been kind of preaching uh, and Pat, we talked about this like a long time ago was my, my general stance on this like player pool is especially those first few rounds is so CMC is a unicorn and he should be treated as such. Not only is he, he's his own tier of everything. He's his mm-hmm. own tier of running back. He's his own tier of player in this player pool. Dalvin is still to me the, the 102 and I'm taking him at 102 and you know that we're not even really discussing that beyond them. At running back, there's a difference, but how extreme is the difference in the chance that Alvin Kamara is that guy again, given all the context around Alvin Kamara now versus CEH versus Antonio Gibson versus DeAndre Swift? There's a difference, right? The probability is different, but how different? And then when you compare Travis Kelsey, the advantage that Travis Kelsey gives you, the advantage that, you know, pick your wide receiver. We now have three of them in the first round, right? That are just superstars, Devontae, Diggs, and Tyreek Hill, that like I start to play these 2v2s, you know, out in my head, and I'm like, Tyreek and Gibson, you know, or Zeke and like DK Metcalf. It's like, I, I mean, I like DK Metcalf fine, but you start to play like envisioning that end of the season scenario when you get to week 17, you happen to get there, right? And everything is played out well for you. Do you want Zeke and DK Metcalf or do you want Tyree Kill and Antonio Gibson? And I keep continuing or take DK Metcalf there and you use DeAndre Swift, right? To your point of let's embrace some of this, this kind of getting these structural advantages of single elite of, you could even be hyper fragile, whatever, but let's start it with DeAndre Swift. Let's say maybe you like JK Dobbins or, you know, started with, I, I started doing it in these, 
you know, these new tournaments where I don't have to compete with the old teams with Daryl Henderson. I really like mm-hmm. Daryl Henderson mm-hmm. using him fourth or fifth round Daryl Henderson as my single elite. Oh, like guy. this isn't best ball, but like I, I'm genuinely, you know, I, with my main event partners for the live draft in Vegas, like I genuinely think Daryl Henderson can come off the board in the third round and like that'd yeah. be okay. Like, because if we get to that point that week one and they don't sign anyone, like there's a real out there where he's a workhorse and you can use him as an acre RB and still start tight end wide receiver. So like Daryl Henderson is also another encapsulating player. The more we move closer to week one. Yeah, I agree. And you're competing with some late round Daryl Henderson teams. Luckily, a couple of those are mine, but you are also not competing against nearly the same amount of late round Daryl Henderson teams like you are in best ball mania. So I do, you know, like third round, I agree. I think you can make that work. And the structures in FFPC are so different that you might be competing against someone who has a couple running back busts plus Daryl Henderson, uh, which and is best, a little bit less. And best ball mania, yeah, I, I think it generally just comes back to, like like Eric was talking about, the unicorn builds. Like, just make sure you're unique because all the builds have been done in best ball mania already. Yeah. So, like, yes. even if you start Dalvin Cook 102, we already know the primary builds have been Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins later on, and then also mm-hmm. probably DK Metcalf because it was so easy to start Vikings and Seattle stack from that point they're all washed out they're all done so how are you going to differ from that build and so you just have to keep reminding yourself if you're throwing away like 25 bucks into that tournament if not like i'm envious of the person who's starting fresh just like you know 20 bullets three dollar tournament call it a day five dollar tournament those are the builds that i think are really fun right now not the ones where we're chasing our own exposures and just getting tired thinking about it my favorite example of that is the the CMC Naji CEH start. It's yeah. like it's like entering your your DFS cash game team into into the Millie Maker. <laughs> you know, it's like, do you have any idea how many times that start is duped? Like every everybody on Twitter posts that. Look at this sweet CMC team, and it's always Naji and CEH. Also, remember that uh, anytime you want to start like that, remember that Herzig already beat you because yeah. he, has that, he has that one tournament team where he started <laughs> CMC and then the Aaron Jones dip all the way to two twelve, and then. Naji at 301. It's like, what are we, what are we doing? Like he already yeah. beat us. So do something different. There's also my, I have, you know, we were going to start, you know, bragging about our rosters uh, from, from these, you know, dips that we had, but there was times Devante was falling back there, yeah. back there too. Like I, I have one, I remember I went and looked and I have one CMC Devante, Devante team. And it's like, yeah. you know, so, but, you, but think about that. Like, that's just, that's just me. That's, that's one team. There's how mm-hmm. there's countless others. Yeah. Of all, so yeah. you have to be cognizant of, of the fact that there's all these super teams out there, and how the hell are you going to beat them? Yeah, I wanted to transition to a player specific question here. Before I do, I uh, want to remind everyone that you got to be ready for draft season with the perfect companion and NBC Sports Edge Plus subscription, draft guides, player projections, rankings, my dynasty rankings, by the way, and more to gain an edge this season. And we're offering a special deal right now if you use promo code SHARP, SHARP all capital with a max subscription, you get a copy of Warren Sharp's book in there as well. So take advantage of that. Did want to ask you, uh, I want to bring up Kyle Pitts because Kyle Pitts, I think is really, I know Eric, you're really psyched on Kyle Pitts. I've been having trouble getting there a little bit, although he's been falling to the fifth round in some of these drafts, which has been like a real blessing for me as someone who was underexposed early. So I am scooping him up. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to just throw away free Kyle Pitt shares in the fifth. That seems that seems great. But overall, I do I am going to end up I think underweight on Kyle Pitts prior to the season. He's one of those guys that I'm not making like a huge concerted effort to kind of get back up to even on or get overexposed on. The the reason that I'm feeling this way is you know just looking at like Calvin Ridley's rookie season, right? Like if, like what we're expecting from Kyle Pitts I think is is really at this ADP 
probably needs to do better than like Calvin Ridley was doing. Doing like a, he needs to have a really good season for a rookie wide receiver. Now there's definitely paths to him doing that. But the reason that I think Kyle Pitts specifically is tough for me is that like when I compare him to Jamar Chase, like Jamar Chase, the expectations for Jamar Chase are off the charts. We are expecting a gigantic season from a rookie wide receiver with Jamar Chase. He might not hit that, but where he doesn't hit that, he hasn't changed my structure. I'm sitting in the fourth round, early fifth round, getting Jamar Chase. I'm probably taking wide receiver in that spot anyway. So, and then I'm, and it's not really fundamentally changing what I'm doing with the rest of my picks. The thing that Pitts scares me a little bit is I feel like you're kind of, he puts you in a position where you quickly become over leveraged because he's changing your structure. You're definitely doing a two tight end build with Kyle Pitts, given the, given what he costs, but also that second tight end really should be someone like Austin Hooper or Zach Ertz or someone in that kind of late, you, like you really should be punting off your tight end too, which, which means you're now even more exposed to the Kyle Pitts downside scenario. So as someone who's like very bullish on Kyle Pitts, I wanted to get your thoughts on that idea. Yeah, I think, so there's there's a lot of different factors to Kyle Pitts and a lot of it is going to be this kind of uncertainty factor. And so I, I guess actually the first thing I should say, I wasn't drafting Kyle Pitts very early in draft season. I think he was overpriced when we first started the year and he was going in exactly this tier that you mentioned, a tier above where he goes, now specifically mm-hmm. on underdog he's actually still really expensive on on DraftKings and I don't I do, I've had to force myself to take a couple on DraftKings just because I don't want to have zero but um I think he's just flat out overpriced over there now I started to really dive into it like I, I'm, I'm bullish on Kyle Pitts the player I mean who who isn't bullish on on Kyle Pitts the player but I was just kind of like ah you know I can't pay this price when he's going by you know Tyler Lockett or or Cooper Cup or whatever I, I couldn't I couldn't pay that price DJ Moore right when he was going by those guys like no thank you then it just there was just this slow gradual <laughs> fall of his ADP where everyone was having this conversation like ah rookie tight end I can't stomach him at this price look at all these wide receivers I can just take a wide receiver whatever and now he's falling into this pocket of the draft where he goes typically after all of those guys. Right now, it's a conversation of him versus Odell. OBJ, yeah. Yeah, it's him and Odell. And that, that tier, Even after like the Deontay, like to take Deontay's kind of my tier break right there. You know, the Deontay, Claypool, Thielen, IU, mm-hmm. all the, those guys, those guys are typically gone. And now there's, or he's at least near those guys now. And then you have like all this, you know, wide receiver thirst on underdog where I, the, the two tight end thing is actually fairly important to me because I want to have the flexibility if I need that extra running back late because I got ran out of early, you know, I didn't get my single elite. Now I would like to have the extra volume or if, oh man, I didn't get, you know, you know, I want like seven wide receivers through 10 rounds or whatever. If I didn't get that and I need to have 10 or, or maybe God forbid, 11 wide receivers on a team, I have that flexibility. Once you need to go three tight ends, that's over. You're never going to be able to make up those other positions through quantity. So then we started to talk about like, he's in this pocket where like, I really, really like this pocket. Honestly, I need a target in this pocket. And then there's obviously the structural advantages to an elite tight end. There's really just, and I don't know what even like number I would put on it, but there is a scenario in my opinion where Kyle Pitts is literally just a wide receiver. I actually kind of think that's what he is. We're calling him a tight end. Atlanta's defense stinks. 
they really only have Calvin Ridley to throw to. They're going to use two. Everybody keeps touting this two tight end thing. I mean, I think Hayden Hurst is going to play in line and Kyle Pitts is going to be a wide receiver is when we talk about the two tight end thing. I think that's really what we're saying. So I think there's, you know, this world in which Kyle Pitts is really just a wide receiver that you get to slot in at tight end, which is really not that different from what Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey are. I'm not saying he, he is those guys. But if we if we're willing to take TJ Hawkinson in the sixth round, I, I don't really know that there's that much of a difference between Kyle Pitts and T, Kyle Pitts in the fifth and TJ Hawkinson in the sixth. And Kyle Pitts is this like I like TJ Hawkinson. Smart people like you guys have kind of turned me into a little bit more of drafting some some TJ Hawkinson because I think I was just flat out wrong to start the year. But like there, there's a real dream about it scenario in which Kyle Pitts is a unicorn. And Kyle Pitts is a wide receiver that you're playing at tight end, and he's a first-round pick next year, right? Travis Kelsey's getting old. Darren Waller's in a bad offense. George Kittle, we love George Kittle, but like it's you know there's low volume, blah blah blah. I I believe that there is a real dream about it scenario that Kyle Pitts is this superstar wide receiver basically that you're you're getting at tight end. Like I said, I don't really know what that percentage is, but I want to make sure I have my you know requisite amount of if that happens, like he's the league winner. Right. You talked about like there's a chance Tyreek is. I think it could be Kyle, I think Kyle Pitts could be the guy that you look back and you're like, you could have just drafted Travis Kelsey in the fifth round and you, you know, and you passed on it because he's a rookie. Oh, Sharp Football's Rich Rebar still has one of my favorite stats the entire offseason. It's that the margin of scoring difference between the tight end one, Travis Kelsey, and the tight end three last year, Logan Thomas, was the widest it's been since 2003, meaning it was an anomaly and likely Kelsey's going to veer closer to those other guys, Darren Waller, Mark Andrews, George Kittle, whoever you want to put, this year. And I say that because Kyle Pitts is in that range. Like, maybe we don't know what TJ Hawkinson is. Like, last year he was a floor player. Like, that's all he was. Uh, he was good for, like, the 6 to 10 points, and he played him because the position is so abysmal. Like, that's <laughs> that's a winning player at that position. Whatever. I'm just going to throw him out there. Who cares? But you prioritize pits over him because we don't know. And we do this for a lot of rookies because we haven't seen them yet. And so there's the sky is the ceiling, right? Like, it's infinite. And so we just salivate over what we don't know and what we haven't seen for Pitts, we do know he's such a unique prospect. I understand we can also bake in his floor. That's honestly why I don't have much because I am a bit or I was a bit more wary than everyone else. But like you said, the ADP has dipped to a point now where I'm comfortable and I'm comfortable because I know he has that Kelsey ceiling genuinely here in year one. If it all comes together, even if it's an anomaly year, if it all comes together, that's the kind of talent he is. And if you draft him that early, anyhow, again, since he has that type of ceiling, you are banking, like we talked to other players, you're banking he's going to have that ceiling. And so I've still been, the times I've taken him recently, I'm still treating him with a tight end two that perhaps gets one or two spike weeks, an Anthony Ferkser, let's say, a Zach Ertz, because I already drafted him pits in the sixth or seventh round. Right. Thus, I need to treat him like he is my tight end one. So I'm not doing the Pitts, Higby, Pitts, Goddard thing. Let's buy into this get the next uh, tight end much in like the 17th or 18th round. Which I think you have to do. I think yes. that's correct. But it also makes me a little bit more nervous about buying into him. Although again, Pitts in the fifth is like, it's crazy that it's even happening because he's one of those guys where you'd expect his price to be moving up. Yeah. So for me, having not had a lot of exposure and then seeing Pitts like drop into the fifth, I'm like, 
thank you. Like, this is really, <laughs> this is so important. His ADP, actually, if we looked at like, I'm sure like Leone has line graphs on his computer. Like if we looked at the wave. Uh, Leone his, definitely has line graphs. On his his ADP is probably roller coastered more than any other players because we had the getting drafted like high and everyone just like capitalized at a high ADP. And then we had the, um, oh, maybe Julio Jones won't get traded after all. And then we had Julio Jones mm-hmm. getting traded. And now we have everyone just like slowly baking the process that he's still a rookie tied in thus we should be behind and now we have oh he's, he's too low now we have to take him like it's just gone everywhere this season yeah that's true i hope i sure hope this doesn't push him back up but uh but yeah you're getting him now at a price that includes the certainty that julio jones was traded at a price that's a little bit below where it was before julio jones got traded which to me i mean it's like if you're gonna finish up your best ball mania entries i mean i think he's one of the reasons to do it right like this is this is going to be potentially and I don't know, maybe this will evaporate. So Go, going back to the, you know, spinning information against everyone, perhaps now's the time to use him in a two tight end build with one of the guys we know are about to fall. Like Mike Jasicki playing five first team snaps with the offense this past week because Jalen Waddle and underdogs Josh Norris was on top of this the whole time. Like Jalen Waddle's the slot receiver. Mike Jasicki used to be the just slot receiver. So thus there's less room for him to get on the field. So if Jasicki's ADP now dips, we grab him. Adam Troutman, literally PFF's number one blocking tight end last year. Didn't run routes on third down. Let's grab him. Screw it. Let's just see what happens. And so like two tight end builds with the dipping tight ends, I think are the way to approach him now. Ferkser, um, if you if you if you like Ferkser, Ferkser is actually my favorite one because uh, everyone's like, yeah, he's only going to play like an eleven personnel as a slot receiver. Yes, that's that's the point. <laughs> no, no kidding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Ferks has really been falling too. I've been enjoying that discount on him. I think we should probably draft leave him, it there. Draft him okay. with Darrington. Draft Ferkser, draft Ferkser <laughs> and, and Darrington, and you bet on this. Ferkser, well, people are worried about Ferkser playing, but if, if something were to happen to the big dog or there's just correlation in a game script scenario, right? You can mm-hmm. draft him with A.J. Brown too. You can draft him with Julio Jones. And Ferkser, if, if something go right, whether it's the big dog goes down and the season breaks a certain way where they need to throw more or just in the games where they need to throw more, Ferkser's going to play. Like he's not going to do anything. No one's going to do anything if, Hen- if Derrick Henry runs 40 times. Like you don't want any other Titans, but he, he, he actually has upside. And I think this dip on Ferkser is pretty silly. That's, uh, that's actually one of my biggest takeaways, if not the biggest from preseason week one, is that. I mean, we've done this too long, and even I still got sucked in yet again to having two tight end builds with one late-round tight end. They don't matter. They just literally don't matter, so always stack three. Even Gerald Everett, like the only one who survived this weekend. I still just probably need to start jamming him into three tight end builds because like, they just don't matter. They always get phased out. Well, I like a I like a Kittle, and then you can just sit back in the 18th. I was taking Zach Ertz. So much Zach Ertz, it's it's to be clear. I, I should say if you're doing late round, three late round. Uh, yeah, three that, late that, round. Right. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Um, with like a strong tight end, you're pretty much banking on only using it in the bye week. So yes, of course, then you can just do two tight end builds with one guy who doesn't matter. So I know what you're trying to you're trying to send us out of here, Pat. But I do think the tight end thing is actually fairly interesting because. You know, I don't think that there's a Logan Thomas this year or a a couple years ago, Darren Waller. But like if Donald Parham is Logan Thomas, if if Mo Alley Cox is is Logan Thomas or whatever, the benefit of that to your roster is like 
massive, absolutely massive because you're, you're right. Logan Thomas is coming close enough to Kelsey, maybe not last year, Kelsey, but coming close enough to Kelsey with a 17th round pick that now you're beat, you're winning at every other position while not losing points at, at a really, really tough position to score points. So to your point, you can take these, I think, you know, when you're taking three, I think you can kind of do what, what Daigle was saying and just like, let's just punt it off. Right. Yeah. Playing for upside, dude, give me Mo Alley Cox and Donald Parham. And uh, I don't know, OJ Howard or whatever, like you, you Jordan like, embrace it. Jordan Aikens. Yeah. Jordan Aikens embracing that. I think somebody, somebody posted earlier today and Noah Gray team. I do a, I just started a, a draft review show on the, this morning and they posted a Noah Gray team. And um, they were like, basically, you know, I was like, this is kind of interesting. It's, you know, for a mill, you know, for a milli up top, uh, you know, if something were to happen to Kelsey, like we treat these running backs the same mm-hmm. way. Kelsey's a 32 year old tight end, you know, that's not getting any younger, just stuff like that. Right. These galaxy brain thoughts. But I think that they're interesting. Tyler well, Croft but, is another one of those guys. And yeah, the preseason guy, like, cause what led us to, you mentioned Waller, you mentioned Logan Thomas was literally just athleticism and playing, knowing they were going to play snaps. That's it. And like that guy, I guess would be Jacob Harris, who, you know, had that core muscle surgery, and then I didn't expect him to play in the preseason. They still threw him out there, seven snaps out wide, eleven, uh, no, seven in line, five out wide, um, eleven as a tight end. Like he just seems like an all-around guy who I didn't think could hit, but maybe he actually can hit. Really, one more quick question though before we get out of here: How are y'all approaching the rounds that? I say don't matter, but uh, Herzig also corrected me when he came on with Eden Hart. It's not earlier in the offseason because as in best ball, obviously every player, every round matters. But like um, 15th or 18th, we know it's just pretty much impossible to get a player right. Like literally, if you can find a player that plays, you win that round. Um, so what I've been doing, and I want to get your approaches on it, I have just been stacking, double stacking my quarterbacks with a last year on guy. Because I think the odds are so incredibly low to find a player that's going to be consistent that I would much rather take a chance on a spike week for an offense, even if I get just get mm-hmm. one week out of, let's say, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's now ADP is like in the 13th round because it's absolutely <laughs> bonkers. But like for Baker Mayfield stacks, that's who I was grabbing in the last round because I think I have a better chance of finding a spike week offense than a spike week like player as a whole. I definitely mix through. So I, I would put it into like three kind of, archetypes it's definitely correlating and that doesn't just mean with your quarterback that's probably my preference typically is you know finding that that guy that is maybe not even getting drafted but he's the and he may not even be on the field like to start week one right that guy that i've started taking a little bit because i take a actually draft a lot of dolphin stacks is like albert wilson taking some someone like that especially you know maybe it's maybe it's recency bias or whatever but they're getting some camp hype right there there's a path yeah, to them being to the, a path to them being being on the field and, and showing a little bit of upside um you know if you have rams taking two two or somebody like that attaching them the opposite side is say you have a chief stack in week 17 they play the Bengals. that could mean some you know you want to throw on some ajp ryan that could mean auden tate something like that could mean cj uzoma if you need a tight end right it, it could mean different things but correlating with your your stacks as, as as a bring back for those playoff rounds it also doesn't have to be week 17 i prefer week 17 but it could be kind of any of the the playoff rounds sometimes you even get a little bit lucky and like your stacks play one of the same teams and then it's just like total total yahtzee the other thing is like you know it's, it's definitely structural right like I, we do so much we just talked about like single elite rb hero rb zero rb type stuff that i'm just finding whatever upside running backs 
back there that I can get because I'm, I, I've loaded up at, at, at wide receiver and I don't need typically don't need quarterback or tight end by that point. And so now I'm just kind of mixing and matching. And that's where, you know, like I would find my flavor of the week, right? Like we've talked about this a bunch of times, like Pat was on Ramondre for a short period of time up and maybe Ramondre is not going to work. Now let's pivot to Ty Johnson. Now let's pivot to, right. I was on Darrington for a little while and that just ended up becoming a bit, but like, you know, you, I got him in the 17th today. There's see, you still might be able to get a little more. Yeah. He he praised he, he saved us by getting a, he faked the knee injury. Did you see he lived, you know, he was done. He it's, was it's he dominated, more than, I mean, he dominated you call the preseason. He's done. You call it a bit to be humble, but it's much more than that because you even talked earlier about contingent players and like that's the zero RB build. That's why I was taking him early. I was taking him back in March and April just because we know Derrick Henry has 827 total touches the past two years. If there's a guy it doesn't matter for, it's probably Derrick Henry, but still there's a possibility perhaps he's injured or something happens and then Darrington Evans just comes in so yeah he's a great contingency player in those realms and sometimes you get you know you stumble across Darrington that becomes your you know your, your guy and then you ride him up to a certain level of ADP same thing happened yep. with Damian Williams the exact same ha- thing happened with Damian Williams these guys were 18th round picks and then the market figures out like oh man these are the best 18th round picks and now they're not 18th round picks anymore and then you just start cycling through new 18th round picks which is also yeah. why no one's gonna i say this every year no one's gonna remember this but uh but you gotta get in in march like uh the adps <laughs> in march i mean trey lance as the qb 32 was absolutely <laughs> incredible yeah and some of similar things happen at wide receiver too with diami brown who i the part where you stop taking the guy after his adp goes up i need to have a little talk with myself on him <laughs> but <laughs> but but generally i mean yeah i think i think i've done an okay job of cycling through those running back dart throws and just kind of like it's actually kind of fun to cycle through those running back dart throws in the last round because you can kind of tell yourself that story. And then rather than like being bearish on the guy going forward, you just find another guy to start telling yourself that story about. And then you start to get really excited about that. guy. So it's actually kind of fun to keep those exposures fresh as and we get new pieces of information like Quadri Allison was one of the guys who you know I was like, I mixed him in for a couple of weeks where it's like, you know, he's the RB2 there. OK, I'm going to tell myself that story. And I think keeping your exposures well rounded on those last round picks is smart because we know so, so little about how that's going to work out. It's so much easier to tell yourself, I am not going to get this right. And then draft the player. Uh, and it just, it makes you accept it much easier. Yeah. One of those guys had, had been Ertz and, you know, I will go down to the Moella Cox and the Aikens guys. And I, the, the point on the tight ends, it's like, I, I agree with the three tight end build. I think that can definitely work. I wonder if part of the reason why like elite tight end is so good is because it keeps you out of the middle range of tight end, like just punting it, just spending $1 on your tight end too, I think is an advantage in and of itself. So a build that kind of puts you on that is, is probably a bit of a better build because the guys who we think are going to hit, like I like Irv Smith a lot. Irv Smith's probably going to be nothing. I like, you know, I like Higby a lot. I like Higby a lot. I think Higby's probably going to break our hearts again. It's like all these guys in the middle class. <laughs> I think they have such high chances of breaking your heart. So the That's builds like- where you just avoid them completely I kind of prefer. And I, and I think that is like redraft is much easier to grab one and then be done with it. Um, we're talking mm-hmm. about best ball, obviously, and you're supposed to stay away from that range, but it does seem like that is the range where we're taking risk, but also like they could pay it off because we have paths for them to just play every snap and every down. Irv yeah. Smith last year without Kyle Rudolph, like this year, Tyler Higby now without Gerald Everett, so on and so on. That's why like, I understand when someone tells me that, 
and even shows me the data, but also like, I can't get away from it. Like I Logan can't Tom, either. <laughs> Logan Thomas led his position in routes run. How the hell can I get away? He played every first team snap. How can uh, I get away from that? I can't, I'm a sucker well, for it. The way to do it is, is draft Kyle Pitts in the fifth or, or draft one of these yeah. late tight ends. Then it forces you away from it, which I, I think is like, like I'm saying, I think that's actually an advantage of those builds because yeah. when you get and you see Higby's dropped by a round, you still go, I, I can't do it. I still can't do it. The only other thing I would add on that tier of, of tight ends, I think if we're, again, doing like an optimal thing, I, I think you want to be overweight the elites and probably overweight the, the scratch off lottery tickets because that's what probably gives you your greatest path to like, you know, winning these tournaments. But what I think the middle tier kind of does is allows you to a little bit more easily still go to, you know, and so get that structural advantage. And it's not a bet necessarily on Irv Smith becoming elite. It's more so a bet on Irv Smith doing enough and maybe Kelsey regressing and Waller regressing, right? It's more of a bet on the tight end pool. Like you mentioned earlier, Daigle, right? Kelsey doesn't separate himself so much. And Irv Smith does take a little bit of a step, right? Logan Thomas continues to be top five and he's being drafted as whatever, 10th tight end. Like it's more of a bet on like this tight end pool is kind of all whatever. And I do have this guy closer to the top, you know, than the punts. Um, so I, I'm just trying to get a little bit of all that, but I think generally I want, you know, give me Kelsey, give me Kittle. And, give me and I'll, I will add my my most important takeaway also is that uh, I say, you know, those round 15 through 18 players like just never hit, which is fine. But you can also give yourself an advantage and and looking back to your structure because structures don't change. Right. And you're doing that throughout your drafts. And so always put yourself in an advantage to uh, take advantage of that. Um, If the structures suggest you need another zero RB, for instance, like to have five Mm -hmm. then just grab Mm -hmm. one. Like who cares about the player since most likely it's not going to hit anyways. Like just grab it because that fits your structure. If you need a double stack option, then grab the third receiver from a team and hope for an injury ahead of them because that's the structure and so just always be looking at that in that range of picks colin johnson season colin johnson it may yeah. actually be colin johnson season. It, might, it really might be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right we really will leave it there uh thank you so much uh eric thanks so much Diggle. Diggle, what do we got going on on the site on the site, we are pushing a tiers update through. I believe uh, Kyle has also been updating our rankings on the premium side. Use the show code FOOTBALL10 if you want to get in on that before redraft season as our drafts are coming up. And then we will be back tomorrow since everything got pushed out of the way for the Fantasy Football Expo. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with a positional talk with Pat and Denny. And then on Thursday, we have a very special guest, as you mentioned, Pat, the Miz, I'm the only one that watches wrestling. So we're going to talk to Pat and Denny about wrestling. It's going to be really interesting. And then we will also get into more positional talk. It's redraft season. And uh, yeah, this is pretty much our sign off for best ball, even though, you know, we'll still all be in the streets. Awesome. And then Eric, tell us, tell us about the streets. What's, what do we got going on in the streets? Yeah, uh, the, the, the streets the are, the Mike. streets are not stopping. The streets are not stopping. <laughs> Dave might be stopping, but the streets are not stopping. Um, yeah, it's, it's, we're, we're down, we're down to the grind. One thing I will say about, best ball is that this is the, the the prime time right we have multiple million dollar contests which is just crazy if you like think about where we're at with this best ball stuff like this this is bananas filling three puppies and and you know i mean the biggest one they just launched i'm sure most of the people watching this are listening to this know but they launched a new puppy on underdog which is two hundred thousand dollars to first place and a million dollar total prize pool in a five dollar contest i mean it's it's uh, it's absolutely insane uh, what's going on out here in best ball. But I also think people think about it as just a season long game. And I think we're going to see a lot, especially on underdog more in season type best ball contests. I don't know about entirely weekly drafts, but I think that's where we're, we're headed. We're headed and we're definitely headed to like, you know, week four, they're going to launch a new, you know, week four through the end of the season, halfway through whatever. And so 
at spikeweek.com. We're obviously covering everything um, live every 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 morning uh, leading up until the till the NFL season, and then on even into the season into the other sports. If you like NBA, baseball, NHL, whatever, we'll be covering all that there as well. So yeah, it's it's not just redraft season, Diggle. It's also still still best ball season. And uh, check out the Spike Week podcast as well. Yeah, I do. Yes, so I can suggest it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it can be both. It can be both redraft season and best ball season. We can we can multitask here. Uh, I certainly I certainly hope we can multitask since I have quite a few more drafts to to finish up here before the season starts. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Please subscribe on YouTube. Uh, give us a thumbs up there, and uh, we will see you guys tomorrow. And then we will see you again on Thursday. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.